Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. And in the last year, it turns out that two things really made this possible. One is LIDAR, and the other is cameras. And they've both gotten better over the years. And what our guest is talking about is a new way for visually impaired people to navigate indoors. We'll speak with Mike May about the new Good Maps app and how it has managed to overcome some of the technical challenges faced by other approaches to indoor navigation in the past. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Mike May. Okay, what's your tip? It's better to travel, hopefully, than to arrive. Oh, I like that. That's a great life philosophy, as well as good advice for actually traveling. Yeah, there's different versions of that saying. It's not all about the destination. I firmly lived that during the course of my involvement with with all this GPS stuff. Is Everybody focuses on, you know, where do you turn and what is the destination? And I say, well, what about all the stuff in between, those thousands of points of interest, the street names? I want to hear about all this stuff as we go along. And we will later in the show. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by NaviLens, a four-color QR code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Now, using augmented reality, NaviLens 360 Vision locates the NaviLens codes in a 3D space available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at N-A-V-I-L-E-N-S dot com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Mike. Mike, you've been on Eyes on Success in the past with us, but for people who haven't heard you, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, I'm Mike May, currently with Good Maps as Chief Evangelist, and I'm probably best known for starting Sendero Group and the first accessible GPS. And the other thing you're well known for is recovering some of your eyesight. How has that developed? Yeah, 20 years ago, I had stem cell and cornea transplants, which took me from being totally blind to a little bit of vision. And it's as good or better than it was 20 years ago, but I still operate primarily as a blind guy, but I have the benefits of some low vision, good color, and so forth. And when we last spoke with you years ago about this, you were just accommodating your brain to this new vision. And I remember you saying that you had difficulty recognizing objects. You know, if your wife was standing in front of you, 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 know, you couldn't tell whether it was a bench or your wife. Has that improved <laughs> somewhat? That, no, that's, that's pretty much the same. What's different is that my library of visual images has improved. So whereas in the beginning... I just didn't have much to work with. I, I had no context for objects. Now I've seen more things, and so I probably don't make those mistakes as often as I did in the early days. Now that's an interesting way of putting it, that your library has 
yeah. increased. You're learning to recognize new things as you deal with them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and that's what sighted people do, and from babies to toddlers to children, they're building their visual library, and it works for a fully sighted person in much the same way. Absolutely. Next week's show will be an encore of the original show where we talked with him about that at length, and we will also have a slightly more extended update on his current vision. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the Good Maps Indoor Navigation System. As you mentioned in the introduction, you came from working with the Sendero Group and now with Good Maps, you're in kind of a similar venture. So this sort of leverages off of what you've done in the past. Tell our listeners quickly what Good Maps is, and then we can get into some of the details of how it works. Well, Good Maps is a spinoff from the American Printing House for the Blind, which was a nonprofit. Good Maps is a for-profit, completely separate venture, initially funded by APH. And APH had developed both indoor and outdoor navigation products and felt that there was a commercial place for particularly the indoor navigation. And so that's why Good Maps was set up to do that. And it has addressed both the indoor navigation, which is really where the pioneering technology takes place, as well as maintaining good accessible outdoor navigation. And people have been struggling with the best way to present indoor information to the visually impaired for a number of years and tried a number of different technologies that sort of work, but sort of have their limitations. Can you talk a little bit about that? There's always been a need, of course, for indoor navigation, but we have not had the equivalent of outdoor capabilities. GPS is worldwide, it's ubiquitous, and it's free. And there's nothing like that indoors. I worked on my first indoor navigation project in 1995 and have been through different iterations since. And it wasn't until beacons came about in the last six, eight years that we started to have commercially available indoor positioning and navigation. And this relies on things like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi beacons that people have to manually locate through a structure. Yeah. That means that the infrastructure has to be outfitted with those Bluetooth beacons, and then your app references those beacons to know where you are, which is better than nothing, but it still is an unreliable positioning system. It's not nearly as accurate as one would like. Plus, I guess people have to worry about replacing the batteries in the, these devices that are scattered through a building, etc. Right. It's costly. It's time-consuming to install, and... Just like with light bulbs, you know, they don't just go dead on on a schedule. Some might be in one year, some might be in two years. So it's tricky to keep the beacons up and running. So with Good Maps, then, you apparently came up with a new way of addressing this problem based on some new technologies. Can you talk about that? That is the key. And in the last year, turns out that two things really made this possible. One is LIDAR and the other is cameras. And they've both gotten better over the years. They've both been used for many years, but not to the point where it was 
economically feasible, practical to use these in the kind of environment we needed. And so with the advent of those technologies becoming much more accurate, we were able to develop a system that can do away with most of the hardware infrastructure that you needed with the beacons. Everybody knows what a camera is, and people have heard of LiDAR, but for people who haven't, can you give a brief description of what LiDAR is and how it works? Yeah, it's laser distance and ranging. Essentially, this laser beam is sending out, bouncing back, and the position of whatever it bounced off of then is geocoded. In other words, every square inch on the wall that it's bouncing off of has a different latitude longitude and that position then is associated with that laser return. So you have millions of points that all have this georeference. Uh, same as outdoors, but out there you have the GPS that doesn't have as good of accuracy, but it's still the same sort of system where every square meter has a, a georeference. And this laser imaging can be very accurate. Yeah, very, very. Now, you don't rely on using LiDAR in the individual's phone. You use LiDAR to set up the environment first, correct? That's right. And it may be that the, the LiDAR, which you now have in the iPhone 12 Pro and Max, might come into play in the future. But the way the system currently works is that our mapping scanning guy goes in with a backpack that's got this big LiDAR device and a little camera turret on top, and he walks through a building, and pretty much at the speed that he walks, he can map a facility. So let's say an airport or a large hospital or something could be mapped in the course of walking around for one day. Then that 3D cloud image is processed, turned into a 3D map, labeled with points of interest, which would be offices, escalators, elevators, and such. And then that becomes the map that you're referencing with the camera on the phone. And that's a very clever way of doing it, because as you and Nancy pointed out, LiDAR is only available now on a couple of the high-end phones, but not generally available. And if you want people to use this new mapping capability, they have to rely on doing it another way with their cameras instead of with LiDAR. Right. And there's a, a speed and accuracy issue with LiDAR. Those backpack size machines are tens of thousands of dollars and much bigger and can do more than you can with the ones that are built into the phones, which are really right now geared for tell me how far away a person is or where's an object. Uh, that's the beginning of the LiDAR in the built-in phones. But that's just a stepping stone to maybe those becoming more powerful over time, just as chips and everything else get faster over time. So then can you describe how the individual user's telephone with its camera interact with this map that's been built up previously at the venue? Yeah. So once that map is published, then the user has the app, Good Maps Explore, and that's a free app because the venue is the one paying the freight. They pay to have us come in and map, and they pay an annual fee to maintain those maps. So the user has to have their camera out with the camera visible, just as you would with IRA or Be My Eyes or Scene AI. Anything else using the camera, it's got to be 
visible to the world around you. And you can put that in a pocket, in a lanyard, in a pouch on your backpack strap. And then as you stroll along, that camera image of your current location is being compared with the cloud image, the LiDAR and camera image. And your position then is given to you in terms of what you'd normally expect outdoors, which is heading and distance and where do I turn? What's the nearest point of interest? Essentially, what you've done then is to take your LiDAR built into your backpack that you roam around a building with, and you make a very accurate mapping of that building or structure. And then based on the map that you've already made that's very accurate, people can use the camera on their phone to compare with some points of interest and sort of do a matching strategy on that map. Right. Yeah, and it's comparing with not just the points of interest, but every little nuance in in the environment, on the wall, on the floor, the pillars, the doors, all of those things are part of the map. So what happens if the physical environment changes over time? You know, I think about airports and the sign above the desk at each gate changes every time there's a different airplane there, or they'll have advertising posters that are enormous, and the next five minutes they're advertising something else, so it looks totally different. How does your system deal with the changing environment? Well, there's different parts of the changing environment. So signs that might change, the physical structure of that sign would be what the LIDAR would pick up. It would not be doing text recognition. Uh, or the signs that are flashing behind the counter at a gate, it wouldn't be perceiving those things. It would just look at the physical structure. So if those things get moved around, then that is going to have some impact, but the particular content will not make any difference. The same thing goes for people in the environment. They're not going to interfere with the hard surfaces that are around. Those people are, are ignored in the 3D image. So if you're looking for gate 37, it will tell you gate 37 because that's a static image, but it won't actually read to you the details of what it says about gate 37. That's correct. And it could be in the future that we'll have more object recognition, more text recognition built in. Right now, that's not part of the system. We do have a button, for example, for Be My Eyes, assuming that Sometimes you can get close to a destination, but then you want more information about, well, I'm at a, a shop. What's in this shop? What, what kind of goods does it have? And so you can click on a Be My Eyes, or we may have an IRA button in the future, and then that agent can read to you what they're seeing through the camera. And now you have this application on your phone as you're walking around a building giving you directions, sort of like many of the outdoor mapping apps would do while you're outside. What is the accuracy inside? Well, that is the $64,000 question, and that's the difference between today and 25 years ago when I worked on the first indoor navigation. The accuracy can be as good as a couple feet, but the interesting thing is there's more that plays into the accuracy than just the positioning. When you're walking along, you're walking at a different speed. Uh, some people have a cane, some have a dog. 
voiceover is going. Some people have it set at 65 and some at 45. So depending on the speed of the announcement, that may impact if it says turn now, when you get as accurate as two or three feet, you may be past that turn by the time you actually hear the information. I've seen that happen in cars when people get directions from their GPS. Yeah, or from their their co-pilots, right. Yes. Yeah, usually I use Google Maps, GPS all the time in the car. And not infrequently, it'll say turn right before I get to the corner. Yeah. I would think if you're walking, especially if you're using a cane or a dog, that it would be better to get the information too early than too late. Well, the scale of things indoors is different than outdoors. So it's one thing to give advance warning, you know, turn at the next opportunity when you're 20 feet or 100 feet before that turn. But when you're indoors, there might be 20, 30 feet between turns. And so it gets a little bit trickier. And part of it is user learning and training. And part of it is us understanding the technology and, and trying to make it better and to be more intuitive and to have the computer do the guesswork as to when it should start announcing things. Now, we mostly focused on good maps and how it works indoors, but it is actually a more generic app. It can be used outdoors and for your entire trip, from outdoors to getting to a building to walking through the building, right? Yeah, and the idea is that you don't want to have to have too many apps running at the same time in order to accomplish the task. So our goal is to have a seamless indoor-outdoor experience. So what it would look like is that when you walk by a building that's mapped, and that's really the weak point right now is there aren't many buildings that are mapped. But when you walk by one, it would say APH headquarters available. And you'd click on that, and then it would load the APH map data, and you could stroll on inside and be on your way. And have you personally used it outdoors and indoors and through the transition? Oh, yeah. Yeah, believe me, that is something that I've got something to say about every feature. You know, one of the things about being in the accessible navigation business for 25 years is you have a lot of ideas and things you want to improve and things you've heard about from other users. And you have to be careful not to have uh, what we call feature creep. (laughs) Uh, because most people use the basic functionality and you want to make that really good and you want to focus on simple rather than just having thousands of options. And that has tended to happen with some other apps that have been around for a long time. These maps seem quite useful. Do you share them with others? I mean, one of the things I didn't mention is that when we map these places, we will share the map with any other accessibility mapping app NaviLens included, for free. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Because the venue is going to pay for the map. So we, yeah. you know, we don't need NaviLens or BlindSquare to pay us for it. Oh, that's great. That's great. So it makes it very useful to a lot larger community. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned the funding model, which more and more applications for the visually impaired are using these days in terms of having the venue pay to make their venues accessible. So all these services are free to the people who are using them. What has been your reaction to vendors that you do approach with this concept? Are they pretty accepting of this or is it a hard sell? Well, there's a fundamental aspect to business in the accessible arena that 
I've always thought about it and tried to take into account. And that is, if you can make something multi-purpose, it's much more likely to be successful and to be affordable than if it's just for a niche, small blindest market. Yeah, that's a lot easier to sell to venues. So is this something that sighted people could potentially make use of somehow? That's exactly it. Sighted people could certainly benefit from better navigation inside airports and large buildings and stadiums. And a number of companies have implemented systems, but they're very specific to their particular brand. Let's say Target or Home Depot or uh, baseball stadiums have had uh, Bluetooth beacons for a long time, but the apps are not accessible. So it's our goal to develop a multi-purpose approach where if we go to a venue and we say, you can make your place accessible, get more blind customers, maybe provide less customer service because now people can navigate independently. And oh, by the way, it can help you with your sighted customers. It can help you with your inventory placement and control, asset tracking, emergency egress, any number of other things that can be very beneficial and financially preferable to a company, uh, not just for the blind or disabled person, but for everyone. So I gather from what you're saying that this would also be helpful to sighted individuals, that there's an opportunity within the app to say, find me the nearest exit or find me the nearest coffee shop or gate 37. Yeah, once you've developed the map, then there's all sorts of things you can brainstorm doing. We do have to be cognizant of the fact that sighted people want information delivered more visually than auditorily. Oh, we do although more and more, they're appreciating more and more audible announcements as we see in different products. But they might want a blue dot that shows where they are and where their target is. And we're, we're working on adding the visual features to the app as well as the, the fully accessible uh, vocal features. Now, this app is relatively new, and you've really just started out putting it together and having people start to use it. And as you said, you have some ideas for adding some visual cues. What should people expect in the near future? Well, I think the app will continue to evolve, and that's the easy part. The hard part is talking the venues into paying for the maps and having their place scanned. So that's really where the the challenge is for us as a company. And I think that people can help in their communities. If they have a particular place they'd like to have it scanned, they should let us know, and it's easy for us to provide a quote. Venues always appreciate it when there's somebody locally that they can enjoy the benefits of the accessibility and maybe pitch it to the local newspaper. Uh, So I think there's a lot of groundwork that can be done locally by the blindness community. And from what I've heard, it's not even that expensive for a particular venue. Right. Well, back to what we talked about in the beginning relative to beacons and hardware and maintaining these things. The cost of the venue really is in the initial scan, which is based on their square footage and then a recurring fee. uh, And that's a lot cheaper than the traditional hardware systems. Do you get any kind of uh, pushback about privacy concerns when you walk through the venue with all of these cameras and, and LiDAR devices? Well, certainly every venue, that is, if not number one question, number two, we have addressed that in our policies and our statements, and all of the information is uh, anonymized. Uh, As I said, people are not really part of the 
the laser 3D cloud image. So that's that stuff's not really relevant, but we have to show that in writing and prove it to venues so that they can feel comfortable themselves and that so their customers don't feel that Big Brother is looking over their shoulder. Is there anything we missed? Well, one of the other things uh, we often hear from people in other countries that say, oh, hey, what about us? And certainly the English-speaking market is where we will expand first. We're already in Canada, and the CNIB is working with us and promoting and talking to venues there. Australia, New Zealand, England are all places where we're having a lot of conversations. The UK is probably the next place past Canada where we'll roll things out. And then there's no reason we can't localize to other countries uh, as the company and the product progresses. Great. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing how this evolves. Yeah, it's exciting. Having been in this business for over 25 years, the indoor navigation is really the new pioneering frontier. And as the devices and the hardware and the technology develops, there's more and more we can do indoors and um, I'm looking forward to other aspects of, of the system that can really benefit everybody and in the process, blind people. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the Good Maps app, how to get it, and how to contact them directly. If people are looking to find out more about this app or get the app themselves, can you tell us where they can get it and what platforms it might be available on? Sure. It's on the on the app stores, Good Maps, Space, Explore. Good Maps is one word. Good Maps, Explore gets you the free app in Android and iOS. And, of course, goodmaps.com gets you to our website. There's uh, an audio tutorial slash podcast uh, that goes through all of the different aspects of the app that's about 20 minutes long. So if, if you really want to hear all the detail before you spend time with it or just so you get going faster, that's a good way to, to get started. And if somebody has a question, is there a email address or telephone number? Sure. Email is probably best, info or support at goodmaps.com. And do you have a social media presence? Yeah, we're on all the things, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter all under good maps and it is a free app so it can't hurt to try it out right that's it yeah and we're very interested in people's feedback and because we've just been on the app store since september um, there's a lot of new things um, the android version came out end of december so we're relatively new and certainly open to any any and all user feedback and i assume if somebody wants to test it out in person there's a way to see on the app, what venues have been mapped that you could try it out at? Yeah, that's a good point. Since there aren't a lot of indoor buildings mapped, you'll need to use the virtual mode, pick a building, and then you can virtually navigate through it using the points of interest as your uh, starting point. So it's not quite as good as actually walking through it and getting turn-by-turn -turn information yourself, but it gives you a flavor of it. Cool. And, of course, all of that information will be in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net.
That's it for show number 2125. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Mike May's experience of regaining some of his vision after decades of blindness. Mike May is the subject of Crashing Through, a best-selling book about his experiences regaining partial vision through a stem cell transfer and corneal transplant. Having lost his vision initially at age three, his visual cortex was only partially developed, and he had to learn some things he never knew and how to use what new vision he got. And Mike's story is pretty interesting, so we hope you'll join us next week to hear about that. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.